0: Sounds like we've got a, a glitch on the disc. <laughs> have to look at that for next month, otherwise we're going to hear that again. Okay, so uh, welcome to this evening's Ask Your Herb Doctor. My name's Andrew Murray.
1: My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray.
0: Uh, for those of you who perhaps have listened to the show, which run every third Friday of the month from 7 to 8 p.m., we're both licensed naturopathic doctors who were educated in England and uh, came to California, where the land of the free, home of the brave, uh, we practice... Um, Herbal Medicine and uh, Nutritional Counselling have a clinic in Garbaville actually you know what we don't have a clinic in Garbaville that was closed last month so uh, it was taken over and I'm actually doing a lot more consulting from home so it's actually working out a lot better for most people Um, anyway uh, the number if you live here for the call in from 7.30 until 8 o'clock is 923-3911 we get a lot of people calling from all over the states uh, most shows so there's an 800 number it's 800-568-3723. Uh, you can listen to us on the web, kmed.org. And there's a new temporary call-in number. So I'm not too sure if that 923 is still active or not. It's not, is it? Well, maybe not. Okay. Well, folks, there's another temporary call-in number. Uh, if you're in the 707 area code, that's 383-9007. Uh, so for people that are listening to the show, uh, calls are welcome from 7.30 to 8.00 p.m. Uh, if people want to contact us outside of the show, uh, Monday through Friday, uh, either go uh, call us on a toll-free number one 888 wbm Herb, or if you want to email either of us, Andrew or Sarah, either Andrew or Sarah, at westernbotanicalmedicine.com. Uh, if you want to shoot us questions and stuff like that, uh, we've got the time, and we'll certainly answer you. Um, okay. So this month, I wanted to continue from last month's topic because we barely had time uh, to get into the meat of it. Um, And last month's topic uh, was a subject, the precautionary principle. Uh, And this is something that uh, Dr. Pete uh, was uh, enlightening me to in terms of what I found out to be a directive in law in Europe, Uh, whereas that directive is not in place in the States. And there's certainly... Uh, Political and economic reasons uh, for it, but some of the topics that we'll bring out um, later on the show will be pertinent uh, to the fact that in this country it's not enshrined in your in law, but in the European Union it is. So, so reiterate the uh, opening of last month's discussion. As I said, the precautionary principle, as applied uh, to medicines and foods, can be seen in Europe, where it's codified into law, but purposely not here in the US. And whilst this is not a political show, but rather a humanitarian and altruistic venture, uh, the politics of uh, nations, with their attendant controlling vested interests and lobbyists, they most definitely are up for examination. Uh, A regular phrase which bears worthy cautionary advice is, if you want to know more, follow the money. And we've all heard that. Uh, As I stated last month, the World Charter for Nature, adopted by the UN general assembly in 1982 was the first international endorsement of the precautionary principle and the principle was implemented in an international treaty as early as the 87 montreal protocol and among other international treaties and declarations is reflected in the 92 rio declaration on the environment and development this was signed at the un conference on environment and development now the united states has opposed the use of the term principle because this term has special connotations in legal language Uh, due to the fact that the principle of law is a source of law. And this is the legal status of the precautionary principle in the European Union, though, and whilst I'm not a supporter of the Union due to its unelected bureaucracy, there's nothing wrong with international dialogue and trade with countries agreeing with one another on creative policies whilst retaining their own unique cultures, language and borders, and ultimately learning from mistakes and moving forward with better models. Uh, later in the show, here I wanted to explore the nature of both Chris Busby's article and a recent article I uh, was uh, shown from Dr. Ernest J. Sternglass and the relation to the whistleblowing on the dangers of the nuclear industry and the government control of data and disinformation. I know in the uh, election cycle that we've just gone through, the mainstream media uh, certainly had a lot to say about disinformation, and there was quite a, uh, a war waged by both sides in terms of disinformation or information so we're all familiar with that term um so as i mentioned last month chris busby's article and the invocation in europe of the Euratom suicide clause uh, which we'll talk about later needs to be closely followed as there are legal ramifications in europe which can force the hand uh, of willfully corrupt officials and institutions and this is in regard to accurate reporting on radiation leakage etc from these power stations on a side note I am pleased to hear that clean, coal-burning, zero-emission power stations are going to be supported once more, and that energy independence and lower energy costs can be a reality for us here in the US. Uh, We've previously discussed the disinformation surrounding the lie of global warming and the real reason it was being pushed globally as carbon taxation designed to enslave us all with another life tax just like the lie that with Obamacare you can keep your doctor and there's no penalty for not getting health insurance. Anyway, so Chris Busby's invocation of the Euratom Suicide Clause looks to pose a credible threat to the nuclear industry, and Dr. Sternglass's publications clearly show the reality that no radiation exposure is safe. So, Dr. Pete, um, are you with us? Yes. And thanks so much for uh, giving your time, as you uh, have been doing for some time now, every third Friday of the month. We really appreciate you being here. Um, so, in terms of um, this precautionary principle, just to uh, briefly wrap from last month so we can continue uh, with the other topics of sternglass 's publication uh, Bub- busby 's pu- publication, and then get into the uh, some of the issues surrounding g- things like GMO and nan- nanotech as how safe are they and how they 've gotten to where they 've got. Um, could you briefly uh, go through the um, process again of the Um, precautionary principle how it applies uh, and then that will help people understand perhaps how in Europe where it doesn't apply how things have maybe been managed differently and then we can look at the bureaucracy and the economic and political uh, involvement or interests that uh, stand to be gained from these people
2: Um, the the principle really is nothing but saying that common sense should be uh, incorporated into public policy Uh, that it's better to be safe than sorry. Uh, But uh, uh, it's really hard to appreciate uh, why that is so controversial, uh, that uh, you should uh, know something about the probable effects of any action you take. Um, uh, I was just reading uh, about the, uh, the first big Hydrogen bomb test that mm-hmm. the U.S. Uh, made in the Pacific. Uh, the, uh, the the very first atomic bomb explosion. Some of the people, some of the physicists working on it, had uh, said that they had calculated there was a certain probability that the bomb might start a, a chain re- reaction <laughs> in the atmosphere and destroy the world. Okay. They went head with it because they said that was a small probability.
0: Yeah, well, that was pretty good to put it out there. Uh,
2: <laughs> uh, when they were uh, designing the the first hydrogen bomb uh, they uh, to uh, make a, a portable device In, instead of having refrigerated uh, hydrogen gas, they used uh, lithium hydride or lithium deuteride mm-hmm. uh, to, as the source of the uh, The fusible uh, uh, deuterium and uh, uh, they were calculating that they would get a 5 megaton explosion from the amount of uh, uh, deuterium at present in the lithium compound Uh, it didn't occur to them that the lithium itself might (laughs) undergo (laughs) fission and provide more uh, uh, fusible material and in fact, that's what happened. The the lithium itself entered into the, the nuclear reaction and produced a 15 megaton three times, huh? explosion, three times bigger than they calculated, and so it uh, uh, killed uh, a fisherman, uh, irradiated, uh, sickened, uh, the uh, people on the uh, uh, Japanese fishing boat, and uh, burned. Uh, a lot of the uh, sailors and military people who were watching it. uh, Just because they uh, were so confident that they uh, were good engineers and good physicists, uh, they didn't even think about the simple uh, physical chemistry involved. Uh, And uh, uh, that whole process uh, simple ignorance is, is something that You have to take into account when you're working with anything dangerous. But far beyond that is the uh, ulterior motive. If they have some big goal that they're after, uh, they aren't going to – it isn't simply a matter of uh, not investigating the dangers, but of actually falsifying the known effects, the non-probable effects, Uh, that's where the the precautionary principle uh, opens up something much bigger. Uh, The fact that the the government has controlled scientific information so drastically over the last 60 or 70 years uh, that uh, even if you do try to apply the precautionary principle without the information you need, it's impossible to take precautions that that will save lives in the future.
0: Okay, now are you saying um, because um, in the states here this precautionary principle does not apply, that certainly gives a wider doorway through which this kind of procedure can get through uh, rather than being held accountable financially uh, for reparation through the courts?
2: Um, Yeah, that that is one uh, possible solution to it. Um, If if the information ever comes out that they really knew that they were killing people, uh, then they could be held responsible.
0: Because I I, I guess we're skipping ahead a little bit. When I think about vaccine-damaged children as a pretty recent uh, revelation, um, you know, and Dr. Andrew Wakefield being exonerated and... um, it being brought to full public attention that vaccines really have damaged uh, a lot of children. Well, and that's
1: that, direct. I mean, that's <clears> the government <throat> directly giving them indemnity.
0: Yeah. No, I'm, I'm just saying um, where where that where that kind of thing has existed in this country, there isn't any real uh, there isn't the same simplistic recourse through law for reparation like there would be in Europe, for example, where they apply the precautionary principle in law.
2: Uh, but documents have come out that the insiders in the Center for Disease Control uh, mm-hmm. knew the dangers and uh, didn't mm-hmm. want it made public.
0: Right. Um, but, yeah. Okay, so that's very different. That's willful or culpable uh, in, in damage or, or involvement then.
1: And what now, what are you referring to that the cdc did um,
2: the um the insiders knew the um, research showing the risks of of vaccinations as oh, right. as they knew the the risks of radiation, not just risks the actual yeah. uh, cause of, of cancer uh, premature births uh, brain damage uh, when they are finally forced to um that there is some damage, they traditionally have falsified the quantities of um, uh, toxins or the, the intensity of the damage to be expected. Um, in in the story that Chris Busby is telling, uh, the government falsified the uh, Hiroshima, mm-hmm. Nagasaki damage uh, over a hundredfold. Uh, shrinkage of, of the a- actual damage produced over the years.
1: So is this because the corporations are lobbying the government?
2: Uh, well, or owning the government. Right. That the lobbying reaches a point <laughs> oh, oh, the where they
1: don't, That's not just lobbying, they actually own it? Uh, yeah. Uh, and so then they get to make up the rules.
2: Uh, yeah, the, the, the people working for the government are uh, assured that if they do favors for the industry, uh, they can quit their job in a few years and go to work for the corporations for 10 times as much money. Mm. So it's slightly delayed bribery.
0: Right. Right. Is it, in, in, internal gratification. All right. So in terms of um, uh, ex- exploring uh, this precautionary principle, how do, how do you think um, we can develop a safe Innovations and without stifling progress or bring to market new ideas in a timely fashion without overregulation or bureaucracy, which is another um, factor that I believe this incoming administration has made a (coughs) a campaign point of stating the uh, he wants to reduce regulations, uh, wants to reduce paperwork and wants to make it easier to bring products to market. So uh, what's the best way forward with this? Just imagining that he does not want to, uh, you know, do anything that is dangerous and that he's not in it for money. With his kind of ethos, how does this um, play out safely?
2: Information uh, has to be available to the public, and uh, that involves... uh, alternative uh, scientific opinion uh, being publishable. But when the journals are controlled by the industry, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, what's available, uh, for example, the uh, interference by Monsanto with articles that have been critical, either stopping their publication or pressuring for the uh, 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 elimination, the retraction of... Mm-hmm already published articles. And in the case of health physics and radiation, uh, the, uh, the main journal, Journal of Health Physics, uh, is really a, a house organ of the nuclear industry. Uh, the, the articles that are published are just outrageously uh, favorable. Right. Radiation claiming that it's actually good for people to be irradiated.
0: So there's a lot of collusion, basically, between the industry and government. And science, and science, yeah. It's all—it's
1: all a ruse.
0: Because a lot of the, and we—we've mentioned this many times about clinical trials being skewed, data being hidden, um, and then we brought out last month, didn't we, that they Glaxo's kind of record settlement of three billion uh, in compensation uh, as a relatively small part of their income, and so it's really it's really not in the interests of these companies to be so prudent uh, because either the uh, reparation is not high in 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 contrast to the uh, gross income of the business um compared to what it would be if they had to make it safe and or not produce it um and then there's all the lobbying that goes on uh between government and big corporations that like you said it's very much an inside job and if um There isn't any truth in publication or a movement to provide the truth. And uh, again, we have said this many times, that the Internet, I believe, is really making a difference to the world population's perception of what is true because there is plenty of information you can find uh in any argument, and ultimately, you know what you begin to see what is the truthful side of uh, of what you might read
1: well that 's getting changed too. I mean, you try to find something on YouTube and you can hardly find well, it because yeah. there's okay, advertising that, sites point, that yeah. try to tell you what they want to tell you or show you the part of the show they want you to see, not the whole thing
0: it 's very much like what you 've uh, you said, and you have said it quite a few times in different parts of the show when you used to read abstracts in the library of original research. It was all well and good because it was original research and there it was but they started removing it from the libraries and now uh you'd have a hard time finding it on a a web search because those abstracts either haven't been reproduced or what you might find now you're being directed to by certain algorithms that are now becoming fairly commonplace within Google's search terms or uh, we've as we've heard about facebook censoring now and they're using uh, fairly complicated algorithms to produce the results they want.
2: Um, yeah, everyone seems to trust PubMed, <laughs> but um, years ago, the librarian posted a notice uh, for students to be aware that PubMed is not a science database. Hmm. And I... I,
1: I Meaning compared, it's controlled by industry?
2: Um, uh, yeah, and the, an industry the, the government, military... Uh, the, um, I compared some articles that were listed in uh, biological abstracts or chemical abstracts and then looked them up in in uh, Index Medicus or PubMed, and the good articles were simply deleted. Hmm. I would find a, a conventional uh, mainstream idea article right next to it, uh, a very good article. The bad article would be listed in PubMed. The good article wouldn't be.
0: Now, you said biological abstracts, and they, the other one that you mentioned? Chemical abstracts. Chemical abstracts. So these are both searchable databases that anyone can look at now if they want to.
2: They're very expensive to use. Uh, though.
0: Oh, are they a pay-per-publication type um, yeah. subscription? You can't
1: subscribe and then have access to the library?
0: Um, if you get your library
2: to um, subscribe and then are a, a member of the library as a, a staff or wow. student, well, uh, that's the only practical yeah. way to
0: get in. And the libraries, unfortunately, are becoming a thing of the past, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, shame. Okay, well, you're listening to Ask Your G- Herb Doctor on KMED Garbaville 91.1 FM from 7.30 till the end of the show at 8 o'clock. You're invited to call in with any questions either related or unrelated to this month's continuing subject of the precautionary principle in food and medicine. Uh, the number, if you live in the area, there's a temporary call-in number, of 707 code, 383 9007. Or if you're outside the 707 number, uh, there's an 800 number, which is 1-800-568-3723. So, uh, Dr. Pete, in terms of um, the – I'm trying to think what what is the best way uh, of making this crooked road straight again in terms of – it's always a case of just follow the money if you want to know where – Something's going, follow the money, because that's the only thing that people were ever really pursuing uh, in business is the financial gain, unless obviously they are uh, PhD students who are doing theses and doing uh, research that's hopefully not being tampered with or they're not being steered in a certain direction.
1: Well, abstract should have, I mean, fully referenced scientific publications should have the the funding listed at the bottom, and that gives you a cue to mm-hmm. follow the money.
0: So what, uh, what would be the best way in terms of uh, getting a system in place where we could um, free up the bureaucracy and the paperwork, which is so apparent in Europe and the European Union, it's a complete mess and very difficult to do anything because of the bureaucratic nightmare of legislation. How, how do we get by the um, safety aspects of anything that is either food or medicine or devices that people use, so that there can be a, a, truly, a, a freely true open market um, and bringing product to market in a good time and having a mechanism in place where there is a disincentive to be dishonest and, uh, and or dangerous.
2: Um, even though it would be nice to um, be able to use the courts and to have uh, Congress uh, enforce... Uh, open open information laws uh, actual uh, uh, truthfulness in, in uh, what they release under the freedom of information act uh, if if anyone has had an experience with uh, trying to get information out of the f d a for example uh, they they first stall and and then they uh, censor what they they send you, uh, blocking out the essential parts, um, and um, or, or just saying that the information is no longer available. Such things. Uh, if, it would be nice if if uh, Congress could actually uh, create a, a freedom of information that, that worked. But uh, since that's uh, fairly well. Uh, proven not to work, Uh, I think it has to uh, be something parallel. Uh, Using the Internet for communication, for example, I think people have to create alternative institutions to uh, uh, sort of like uh, uh, WikiLeaks of science and consumer information uh, in which uh, information that is uh, more likely to be factual is, is made available to the general public.
0: Okay. <clears throat> Makes me think about the uh, First Amendment and the uh, freedom of speech and association and how how glaringly obviously important that is in terms of having a society that is not afraid to speak out. And that obviously is something that is so suppressed in China, uh, probably still in parts of Russia, um, and other stroke communist-socialist stroke uh, dictatorships or tyrannies. Um, when people feel that there is nothing to be lost by being truthful, then amongst the people the decision can be arrived that we don't want this anymore, this is not good, we don't agree with it, and that should bear out uh, in a government response as a government is for the people, by the people, right, not to be telling the people what to do but actually working for the people. So I think the whole dishonesty side of uh, most of what goes on in or can go on. I don't want to paint everybody with the, tar- you know, the same brush, but just to say that money totally is uh, truly the root or the love of money is totally the root of all evil. If there was uh, more honesty and transparency, that would itself uh, cause more trustworthy business and more um, you know, products that were for our good that um, you know, didn't have the same propensity to be dangerous. So getting on to... Uh, Both these two articles, one um, is Chris Busby's Euratom clause. Um, I just wanted to mention this is an excellent uh, full report outlining the cover-up and the misinformation tactics used by government to hide the fact that the death of survivors of Hiroshima and Nagasaki are still ongoing and killing tens of thousands every year through cancers and genetic defects directly caused by radiation exposure and how this massive cover-up was done by the U.S. government of all things in in order to keep and maintain the illusion that uh, nuclear weapons were a good thing and that we could use them tactically Uh, wasn't a problem but it was a Uh, a very quick way to really bring a rapid close to a conflict because of its devastating effects, when actually the uh, truth behind that is so completely polar opposite. And then another publication uh, by Dr. Ernest Sternglass, uh, his work on no exposure as the only safe approach to radiation, Uh, for our listeners, his work can be seen by typing the search term Nuclear witness, Doctor Ernest J. Sternglass, uh, and you'll get a full list of publications at http: colon forward slash forward slash radiation dot org forward slash reading forward slash aj sternglass pubs dot html. So I wanted just to bring out a couple of um things that are just obviously out there as part, part and parcel of factual reporting. Um, the UPI has uh, stated now they're skyrocketing cancer cases in Fukushima. Associated Press have come out with an article alarming cancer rates after nuclear disaster. Uh, the Times has published child cancers up 5,000% uh, in Fukushima and then radiation doses may be considerably higher than estimated. Um, another thing closer to home here, uh, before we get into and some more of the things that you might want to bring out about stern glass I know there was an interesting part of his history there where there was an interesting discussion here with Albert Einstein as part of uh, part of the article um, but the spike in am- animal deformities on the west coast soon after Fukushima and then hundreds of baby cows with distorted legs and other malformations and just in February 2017 here uh, dead whales with a record high number of deaths in Hawaii and carcasses scattered throughout the islands in the Pacific with sick and starving animals a mystery to experts, Uh, possible health effects in parentheses from Fukushima radiation off the coast blamed. And then uh, also Fukushima's environmental catastrophe has only just begun, uh, with a massive increase in radiation being continually leaked into the Pacific, being disclosed by TEPCO, surprisingly, uh, in the last month. So in terms of uh, uh, the nuclear industry and (laughs) the precautionary principle, I think Busby's got it right. If he can get this to court safely, and/or the European Union doesn't just dissolve like it sure looks like it's going to dissolve, um, sometime soon here, um, how how on earth how on earth can we really continue to <coughs> defend nuclear energy in the presence of technologies like clean coal that were being rapidly shut down and made far too expensive to operate? Uh, by the Obama administration uh, in the light of it being a global warming issue when actually global warming is a huge misinformation campaign all based on carbon taxation as a form of lifelong taxation. Um,
2: Uh, Do you remember when uh, Three Mile Island reactor Uh melted down?
0: Uh Um,
2: The public uh, really started turning against uh, nuclear energy because of the... uh, the fear of, of a huge meltdown. Uh, Sternklaas uh, got in great trouble. Uh, the the industry defamed him uh, beginning, uh, even before that, around 1970, they started saying he, he was totally uh, uninformed and so on because he had the actual inside information uh, showing that the government was uh, under estimating under declaring the amount of radiation being released by hundreds of millions of times. Mm -hmm. Uh, Actually, uh, uh, more than a million times more was being released than the government claimed or admitted. And the the nuclear industry, professionally, they taught everyone who worked in the nuclear industry that people like uh, Sternglass and Goffman and Alice Stewart were simply uh, incompetent. Right, yeah. um, even uh, Linus Pauling was in trouble, uh, couldn't uh, uh, do the normal professional things because he was ostracized by other chemists and physicists because of his opposition mm-hmm. uh, to b- testing bombs in the atmosphere and so on.
0: I, I, part of part of the article with stained is they mentioned the uh, U.S. U.S. Army's um, readiness and uh, um, <laughs> to to commit all of these underground explosions, and they were going to do hundreds of them uh, to create caverns in which they could store natural gas, and they started. Uh, they, I think they did one. Um, and the fallout from this was so great and the uh, contamination was so great that it, um, it fortunately couldn't be covered up. And uh, I know they kind of had to stop that uh, being pushed forward, but they were fully ready to commit hundreds of uh, nuclear explosions to this one project up, in that, the, uh, east, up on the East Coast. Uh,
2: that whole idea of atoms for peace, uh, such as digging canals right. and uh, producing... Uh, natural gas release, and so on. All of that was knowingly fraudulent. It wasn't just uh, a failure to observe the precautionary principle. They knew, they had the information right from the 1940s that small amounts of radiation caused uh, infant deformities, uh, stopped brain growth in utero, uh, caused birth defects of of a great variety, but especially brain damage. Uh, They knew what it would do, but they, for their their own purposes, to um, uh, be able to uh, wage nuclear war, uh, they uh, promoted this idea that the bombs had a peaceful use, and and that extended to the idea of uh, producing cheap power uh, without counting the the cost of mining the uranium and processing it, mm. and uh, killing the miners by uh, uh, breathing the the, the uh, uh, radon and ingesting uranium and so on, uh, the uh, the military created a myth of uh, free energy and uh, uh, peaceful uses of of uh, the bombs, and because of the public turning against nuclear power in 1978 as a result of Three Mile Island, mm-hmm. uh, a process started in the Pentagon in which they uh, had to revise, uh, come, come out with something more scary than nuclear power. Uh, just at the beginning of, of 1980, uh, shortly, just a few months after Three, Three Mile Island, uh, they reversed uh, a trend of predicting a new ice age, which had been the data for, from the late 1940s until 1979. They were predicting uh, planetary cooling. Mm-hmm. But the Pentagon and the CIA came up with this idea of planetary warming a few months after the Three Mile Island.
1: Or the nuclear, the nuclear power industry told them to do that, right?
2: Yeah, and and well, the military too, because uh, they need the nuclear power as a source of fuel for the bombs. Yeah, exactly. And and so they invented planetary warming, uh, totally reversing the preceding 30 years of climate study uh, as a way to say there's something worse than nuclear power. If if we don't use this clean, uh, cheap energy nuclear power, uh, we'll overheat the planet.
1: And polar bears will, di- will die,
2: and yeah. we won't yeah.
1: take into consideration how many women, children, and men die from radiation poisoning.
2: Yeah, and, and th- then uh, when Chernobyl exploded, and uh, the nuclear industry in this country, ever since then, 1986 to the present, have insisted that only a few dozen people were killed as a result of the Chernobyl meltdowns. And the the Russians, who were best informed on the whole process of uh, Chernobyl and the cleanup, calculated that... uh, when they did the study, it's been about 10 years now, I think. Up until that point, 985,000 premature deaths from cancer had already occurred from Chernobyl alone. And cancer is only one of the causes of death from radiation. So if you have a million people versus 30 deaths from the U.S. industries... Uh, perspective Uh, that's again uh, a hundred thousand fold uh, difference
0: well again I I just want to say that it's uh, it's very obvious to me I mean I'm only only 51 so haven't been around that long Um, but it's very obvious to me that there are cyclic um, events that happen and I think it's analogous to the Polyunsaturated fats. That we first met you and talked to you with in 2007 that uh, you were uh, espousing polyunsaturates as really very bad, very damaging, very oxidizable, uh, lipofuscin being a problem, uh, thyroid suppression being a problem, and you'd been saying that for a long time. You know, probably two or three decades, and. Only just maybe in the last year or two years has that revelation become a little bit more mainstream.
2: Um, Actually, my interest in that grew out of my interest in the radiation industry uh, issue in, in the 1950s uh, because the, uh, those are the uh, fats that most uh, break down and become toxic under the influence of radiation. Uh, And an excess of polyunsaturated fats produces the same kind of damage uh, that radiation injury does. mm -hmm. And uh, my interest in estrogen relates to that because uh, estrogen and ionizing radiation synergize. Each one produces the same sort of damage uh, to the organism. And both of those uh, converge on the polyunsaturated fats in the tissues. So really it's uh, the government has uh, participated in obscuring simple biological or chemical uh, processes in the organism because each one impinges on some ulterior motive that the government and industry
0: has absolutely good well i I just we have a couple of callers but i just wanted to finish up by saying that uh, that is coming around full circle now where we see saturated fats being portrayed as actually very useful now and and polyunsaturates now being maligned the way it should have been and we're talking about radiation now or we've done quite a few shows on radiation damage and it's just up to people to be able to hear this and get it into their minds get it into the consciousness that we other people our voices do matter all we have to do is just stand up and just say we don't want this there are other alternatives that are much better and much safer but it takes a free society to do that you're not going to get that in communist china or uh you know <laughs> countries that are controlled by their governments right that's what a free and open free and open uh society is all about where uh the, our voices are what direct the uh, the government to put things into place. Anyway, we have a couple of callers, so let's take this first caller, uh, and caller, where are you from and what's your question? Hi, caller, are you there?
1: This Is this me? Yes. Hi, I'm um, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area, and I found that as my hypothyroidism and estrogen dominance improves, things are less and less overwhelming. For example, I used to get anxious and overwhelmed with simple tasks like grocery shopping, and recently someone told me that I was using my health issues as an excuse for laziness. And so I was wondering, what are your thoughts on the concept of laziness? And interestingly, I'm the most productive when I feel very healthy, like when I eat well, sleep well, et cetera. Absolutely. Dr. Pete, would you like to answer that question?
2: As an excuse for what?
0: Laziness.
1: Yeah, people um, blaming people saying, oh, you're just using your health problems as an excuse to be lazy and not work. Oh,
2: <laughs> um, I, I don't think I've ever <laughs> run into anyone that had exactly that excuse, but... Um, <laughs>
0: Well, I I think uh, what the caller was trying to uh, put through was uh, the way I interpret it straight away was that when you are metabolically deficient, uh, it has a psychological effect. And I think it's a very real effect. And so um, in terms of improving your metabolic health, everything improves with it. I think whether it's your thought processes, uh, your recapitulation, or your uh, you know accuracy and your performance, it's a bit like adaptogens. Like uh, the Russians did that research on the Luthero and the Ginsengs uh, as uh, cognitive uh, performance or cognitive enhancing uh, products.
1: No, when you're metabolically healthy, then you're definitely the most productive.
2: Um, the uh, chronic fatigue syndrome for quite a few years, was uh, said to be a, a personality issue.
0: Right, and fibromyalgia, I think they also yeah, put but, that down to... Uh, but
2: that's something that can actually be measured absolutely. metabolically and hormonally and such.
0: Absolutely. Okay, you're listening to Ask Doctor on KMEV Galbaville 91.1 FM. Uh, from now until the end of the show, 8 o'clock, you're invited to call in with any questions uh, related or unrelated to this month's subject of the precautionary principle. Uh, if you live in the area, there's a uh, toll free number. Sorry, if you live in the area, there's a regular number <laughs> 707 code 383 9007. Or if you're outside the area, there's a toll free number one 568 3723. So, Dr. Pete, we do have another call on the air. Let's take this next caller. Call away from and what's your question? Hello? Engineer, do we have a caller? <laughs> You he might gotta oh, have we gotten tired from, of waiting. Uh, I don't know. Oh,
1: I, we hear him now.
0: No, yeah, I think you're on the end. Uh, where are you from, and where's your question? Well, I did hear someone's voice, but they've uh, they've gone again. Well, if you like, hi. Um, I
2: would have. Um, I'm interested in uh, in two topics. If you have the time, the first question would be: Is there a uh, an ideal? Uh, body fat percentage mm-hmm. to uh, to aim for, right. and the second question would be related to sleep. What do we know, what does science tell us about how much sleep right. we really need, maybe the sleeping positions, um, is it, um, you know, is it smart to sleep just, you know, sure. once at night, uh, Okay, um, well, where perhaps... Is- where are you from? You know anything then? about the, the deep sleep? Um, you know how much time we, we need in deep sleep and
0: such uh, things. Sure. Where are you? Where are you from? Um, from Finland. Finland. You're calling from Finland now, eh? That's correct, (laughs) and uh, it is now 5 a.m. And very dark. 3 a.m. And very dark, probably. Okay, Dr. P, uh, what's the ideal body fat percentage? I guess that's probably uh, a proportion of the height and everything else. Um, And sleep. I know you've got a lot to say about how much sleep a person should get, but would you start with what you think an ideal body fat percentage should be?
2: I think it varies according to gender and age. Uh, For example, Young women who are overweight have a better uh, uh, outcome of of breast cancer, a lower incidence of breast cancer than those who are underweight.
1: And what what age are you saying young women?
2: um, Oh, in the 20s and 30s. And uh, uh, one of the uh, greatest increases in cancer is occurring uh, among women between the ages of 25 and the early 30s. Uh, it, it's uh, tripled in the last 30 or 40 years uh, in that age group. Uh, but because of, of that uh, uh, relationship, it, it's better for a young woman to be uh, on the plump side, but then.
0: With saturated fat, so. Uh, uh,
2: yeah, with, with a good, good diet. And yeah. then in older people, uh, uh, being somewhat leaner for women uh, is uh, reducing the risk of breast cancer. But in old people in general, um, mortality is lower with uh, uh, heavier body weight. Uh, they, they just have a greater resistance to stresses. Uh, so um, you have to look at the individual and their age and gender to, and. Uh, over overall, uh, mortality goes down in old people who are are uh, slightly on the heavy side
0: so it 's very much relative to age then and uh, age and gender because obviously that percentage will change then from
1: Wait, I thought you said the older people who are slightly more plump have a yeah, he did. decreased mortality yeah
2: yeah right same uh, with uh, increased uh, cholesterol and and a, a slight increase of blood pressure in in old age is is good same same
0: with uh, what do you think that body fat percentage would be there 20 percent, 24 percent
2: i think uh, <laughs> that's a little low. higher that's
0: pretty
1: that's pretty low <laughs>
0: okay <laughs> that's too low huh?
1: i remember when i was 19 i think i had it measured at 19 percent oh, okay so and then the 30. person said i don't think you'd uh, ever be able to get pregnant at 19 percent
0: <laughs> so how about 30 percent
2: yeah, I think thirty percent.
0: Thirty percent. Okay. A good average. All right. And now, how about uh, your recommendations for sleep? I know you, uh, I know you're a good advocate of getting enough rest. Um, the timing yeah, also, and
2: and the quality of the sleep is the thing. Uh, your your blood sugar has to uh, stay fairly uh, steady, uh, not drop too much during the night. Otherwise, uh, the uh, deep sleep is uh, diminished, and the uh, uh, the lighter phase of sleep in which you don't uh, really repair your tissues uh, be- becomes, uh, for example, in a, a low thyroid person, uh, they might spend 8 or 10 hours in bed semi-sleeping but uh, wake up feeling uh, fatigued and uh, stiff and so on. Uh, and uh, the, the level of blood sugar and metabolic rate are the main things that uh, allow the, the deep and restful sleep uh, the, the t- turnover of the brain tissue is very great during the night and uh, that that's one of the uh, places where polyunsaturated fats in in your uh, for example your thighs and abdomen uh, during the night those are released into the bloodstream and whatever is in the bloodstream gets built into the brain structure there's a <laughs> this terrific turnover uh, uh, constantly during the night of of the brain substance. Uh, So you want to keep your free fatty acids uh, fairly low during the night by keeping your your blood sugar up. And so uh, having carbohydrates uh, close to bedtime uh, protects the quality of sleep. Uh, They've studied uh, people with cirrhosis of the liver, who uh, did much better on all their tests if they had a a fairly big dose of any carbohydrate, sugar or rice, for example, Mm -hmm. at bedtime. And the breakdown that happens with aging primarily Mm -hmm. happens during the night. Uh, The calcium loss from the bones, uh, it's essentially all in the morning urine or the night urine. Uh, because that's when the, the stress hormones rise and cause the, the turnover so uh, if you can take advantage of that rapid turnover uh, if your uh, stores of of glycogen are high enough to keep the the free fatty acids down
0: okay good so um i think i think you like to um you like to suggest that 10 hours is really not too much sleep
2: uh, no, but you probably don't need that much if it's efficient sleep. Right. Uh, but 10 hours is fine if, if it's uh, uh, cyclic, yep. uh, if you're um, going through the deep sleep and then the slight arousal and then back into the deep sleep. But um, I I think it should be uh, more than six hours for almost everyone
0: i think nicola was um, uh, sort of thinking about perhaps your your comments on the uh, quote unquote Neanderthal sleep patterns where we'd actually wake up, or maybe not even Neanderthal, but you know, maybe not quite so far back in history as that, where they say that <laughs> that uh, humans used to go through two or three sleep cycles in a night, and that actually was quite normal. And actually, now what we do, we go to bed at 10 or 11, and we don't wake up to seven, is actually being abnormal.
2: Uh, uh, yeah, in, in the long winter, or uh, <laughs> the, the night darkness. Uh, would be stressful if they wake up and and have a lunch in the middle of the night. Mm. Uh, that replenishes their glycogen stores yeah. right. and uh, makes, makes the night
0: much less stressful. Right, okay, so it's all about how much uh, sugar storage you have, how much... Uh,
2: and you
1: know you're not storing your sugar if you wake up at 3 a.m. and can't go back to sleep.
0: I'm, there you
2: yep, go, the, that's a cue. <laughs> doctors used to uh, be uh, very negative about night eaters like it was some kind of abnormality, but the, the studies in the last five years or so old doctor, that show that it's very protective.
0: Excellent.
1: And haven't you said too, Dr. Pete, that no one should get up before 8 o'clock?
0: I think so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I like to quote that.
0: Okay, if you're in the area, the uh, 707 number, seven o seven three eight three nine thousand and seven. 383 or if you want to call toll-free, eight hundred five six eight. 3723 three. we've got until the top of the hour here and
1: i haven't yeah. ever met a night worker who is healthy but i could still meet one i'm not saying it's not possible but uh <laughs> yeah,
0: how about that as a question that's a little bit unrelated but in terms of night shifts and and this uh, disp- gosh the uh the total imbalance of uh circadian rhythm and night and day and uh, you know, pineal gland involvement with you know, serotonin and sleep and everything else. What do you think about people doing night shifts?
2: Um, it, it's very bad for the health. Increases the cancer right. incidence, for example. Yeah. Uh, I, I think it's very important to avoid it when it's possible.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. Let me do have somebody calling in here. So let's just see if this call is actually a call I was going to question a little bit if we didn't get any more callers about clinical trials and how uh, because I know that you've certainly got uh, experience with publishing uh, material and the whole clinical trial um, uh, basis and the mechanisms but anyway we have a caller here so let's take this next caller call away Mm -hmm. from and what's your question
1: hi San Francisco Bay Area I just called but but Sarah just mentioned that Dr. Pete said before that you shouldn't wake up after eight can you elaborate on that I've never heard of that before Dr. P. Or, or you should you should wake up after 8, I think. Right. Yeah, you, you shouldn't get up before 8 o'clock in the morning. And, Dr. P., is that because of cortisol levels that are very high at the early hours of the morning, and if you try to do much, it's a real strain on your system?
2: Yeah. For example, uh, people who would go for a jog first thing in the morning uh, without eating, uh, they looked at their blood cells, and their chromosomes in their white blood cells were broken. And if they ate and then did their run, uh, there was no uh, chromosome damage. And uh, uh, that same uh, morning susceptibility to stress uh, shows up in the, the uh, mortality. Uh, there's a morning peak in death from uh, strokes and heart attacks. Uh, the blood is thicker in the morning, and uh, the, the cortisol is at its daytime peak. Uh, so, uh, people are relatively fragile in the morning.
1: No, that's why you don't want to jump in a hot shower first thing in the morning before eating either, right? Doesn't that lower blood sugar?
0: Uh, yeah. Okay, so let me uh, let me ask you in the uh, six minutes or so that we have until the top of the hour um, about the clinical trials and in terms of uh, published published work. I think because, like you said, you know the uh, the only real reliable source of information um if you can afford it or if you can get a library to join uh to find real well i say real but um uh, unbiased public t- uh, publications is the biological abstracts or chemical abstracts um in terms of pharmaceutical companies falsifying um data and I know when I've questioned you about various abstracts and you've told me, well, that means this or this means that, and oh, it's, actually not, it's not actually the way to interpret that, this is what they're trying to do. Um, is there any way, is there any way, any easy way uh, for people to find, um, I don't know, glaring, glaring uh, mistakes in clinical trials or information about clinical trials that will help find more accurate information about it or is it just completely sewn up by the companies doing the trials?
2: Uh, there, if, if you think of uh, propaganda analysis when you're reading a science paper uh, uh, you have to uh, think about everything that they can do wrong. Okay. Uh, sometimes I see a, a paper with fairly good conclusions in which they did everything wrong but <laughs> Uh, Doing those uh, uh, wrong techniques, uh, it uh, makes it a pretty subjective thing. You can come up with almost any conclusion you want if you're using crazy techniques. Uh, And uh, uh, when you, for example, dissociate uh, brain cells and put them in culture, uh, and if you separate mitochondria and... Techniques such as a patch clamp uh, recording, uh, a special way of uh, recording electrical activity. Uh, there are things that have absolutely no uh, physiological real meaning uh, that are very customary in the research papers. Uh, so you have to uh, look for connections, how they can connect that to what's happening in the real organism. And if you look at studies on animals, uh, they can do things to animals, it, it, the intact animal that you can't do to a person. And and so you can uh, get very good information if you use an animal that's a good model of a person. But if you use, for example, a rodent uh, with its night cycle and, and forget what time of day you're doing the experiment, uh, they're stressed if they're a, a nocturnal animal and you do experiments during the daytime hmm. when they normally would be sleeping. Right. Uh, so you have to uh, look at the whether the animal is a good model of the person. But um, uh, typically, uh, someone with an ulterior motive will use exactly those tricks of putting an animal in stress uh, and claiming that it's a, a good model or uh, using, choosing an animal that has an opposite reaction, for example, to uh, cortisol and estrogen. The uh, Much of the estrogen industry is based on uh, the claims about the um, estrogen and bone uh, health right. uh, based on, on rodents. Uh, they had been doing studies in dogs and they found that estrogen damaged their bones <laughs> they gave up the dog studies and, and went <laughs> uh, to rodents because they could get opposite yeah. results
0: all right let's hold let's hold you there dr pete i do appreciate you uh, bringing that out but let me get people well uh, i just want to say
1: one thing well dr pete that's why we need you to help us sort out all this information because you have such a long history of looking at it and figuring it out and We really need you to help keep helping us, Dr. Pete. So I hope you stay alive for another uh, 30 years.
2: I'm praying.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I bet you are. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time, Dr. Pete. Thank you. you. Okay. For those people uh, who've listened to the show, thanks for calling in. It's always good to get callers from other countries. Even Normally the East Coast is uh, pretty cool, and then we get someone from out out of the country. That's great. Uh, If you want to know more www.repeat.com let me just reiterate the two people that uh, we were studying Chris Busby B-U-S-B-Y, E-U-R-A-T-O-M, clause E-U-R-A-T-O-M clause and also do go and have a look at Dr. Ernest Sternglass's work it's a very interesting uh, um, section there on Einstein and his meeting with Einstein. Anyway, there's the glitch on the CD folks, so we've got to get that sorted out for next month Uh, My name's Andrew Murray.
1: My name's Sarah Johannesson Murray. Thanks for listening and have a good night.
0: Yeah. Bye-bye.